to Psalm 115 tonight. Psalm 115. I don't know that the psalm as a whole is one of the more popular psalms, but Psalm 115.3 is certainly a familiar verse for uh, anybody who's been around um, uh, for any uh, amount of time as far as the doctrines of grace and the sovereignty of God and those, those kinds of things. And so I uh, look forward to looking at this psalm as a whole tonight. Let's, uh, let's just start in verse 1. We'll read it and we'll break it down. Psalm 115. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto Thy name give glory for Thy mercy and for Thy truth's sake. Wherefore should the heathen say, Where is now their God? But our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever He hath pleased. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Noses have they, but they smell not. They have hands, but they handle not. Feet have they, but they walk not. Neither speak they through their throat. They that make them are like unto them, so is every one that trusteth in them. O Israel, trust thou in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Ye that fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has been mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless them that fear the Lord, both small and great. The Lord shall increase you more and more, you and your children, Ye are blessed of the Lord which made heaven and earth. The heaven, even the heavens, are the Lord's, but the earth hath He given to the children of men. The dead praise not the Lord, neither any that go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. So it's, uh, as you look at the psalm as a whole, it's pretty clear to see that uh, this is a psalm in the last half that is a psalm of praise. It's a psalm that begins at the very outset with a psalm that is interested in God receiving glory. Uh, it's a psalm that's focused on the Lord and it falls into uh, the, the mix of these Hallel Psalms, Psalm 113 through 118, of um, psalms that are dedicated to praising God. So, it's, it's not a psalm that's necessarily about the sovereignty of God, although Psalm uh, 115.3 is certainly a proof text for that. Uh, but this is a psalm that is focused on and interested in the glory of God, the faithfulness of God, and then praising God in light of all of that. The fact that He is the one true and living God and He deserves our praise. So... We'll start out with just the, the first verse. It really is, if we're thinking about dividing the psalm up, the first verse is, is kind of the, the theme verse for the psalm. It's a, it's a verse that sets out for us. Now, this is not implicit in the psalm, but this is just uh, the way Scripture lays this out. It's, it's a verse that sets out for us the, the reason that all things exist. Why do you exist? Why do I exist? Why do the wicked exist? 
Why do the animals exist? Why do the storms exist? Why do any of this stuff exist? For the glory of God. That's why. For the glory of God. So he says, as he starts out in the psalm, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory for thy mercy and for thy truth's sake. And so the psalmist here, right out of the gate, is seeking to stir us up to a God-centered, God-exalting life and mindset rather than a self-centered, self-exalting life or mindset. And one of the things that we see as, as we uh, get past the first half is that a God-exalting life is going to be a God-dependent life. The last half of this psalm is a psalm that's interested in trusting God and praising God because He's trustworthy. Um, And so he begins, Not unto us, Lord, but unto Your name give glory. He's not saying, and we could read through this and and miss this, He's not saying, um, Lord, bless us to glorify your name. He's saying, Lord, you glorify your name. It's not unto us, but Lord, unto your name, give glory. Well, this whole business of God's glory is a huge theme in Scripture. We know that God is interested jealous over, stingy with His glory. It's not something that He's giving to anyone else. Now what are we talking about when we're talking about God's glory? We've talked about this in the past as far as worship goes, but just the definition there for glory in the uh, Old Testament, the word is kabod, and it just means God's weight. The weightiness of who God is. Uh, That is pretty abstract. That doesn't help us that much practically. It's it's uh, maybe a little more functional for us to think about exalting God's name. That is, putting the weight, the value, the magnitude of who God is on display through our praises. How is it that God receives glory? Well, we know that God is very interested in receiving the sacrifice of praise through Christ. What is it that we're doing when we're praising God? Or what is it that we're doing when we're trusting God? We're magnifying His worth. We're magnifying His name, who He is, who He has revealed Himself to be. And so God is very interested in His glory being recognized. We made allusion to this a minute ago, but Isaiah chapter 42 Isaiah chapter 42, verse 8 says, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. That's a a helpful verse and a helpful parallel to what we're getting ready to see because this psalm is all about praising the true and living God or worshiping God. Worthless idols. So Psalm 115 is really talking about. So he says, and I'm not going to give my, I'm not going to give my glory to another, and I'm certainly not going to give my praise to graven images or idols. 
Um, Revelation chapter 4. It's this familiar scene around the throne of God in Revelation chapter 4 verse 10. It says, The four and the twenty elders fell down before Him that sat on the throne and worship Him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for Thou hast created all things and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. This is what's going on in the throne room of heaven. The Lord is is receiving worship. In verse 11 it says that He's worthy to receive Glory and honor and power. And one of the, one of the things that's helpful when we're thinking about glory is, uh, that it's very closely tied to worship. What is worship? To give God glory is to give God worship or to worship God. And worship is a value statement. Um, worship is the, is the way that was broken down in the old English. And it's, it's, again, it's exalting the worth, recognizing the worth of something or someone. So what does it mean to glorify God? It means we recognize that He is God and we are not. That He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords and He's worthy of a title like that. He's the God who's in the heavens who has done whatsoever He has pleased and that is Him exclusively. And we will not make much of anyone to the same level that we make much of God. He's in, a, he's in a category all of His own. And so as we said earlier, this is why we were created. This is why. This is why the plan of salvation was ever put into place. You think about the, 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 the phrase in Ephesians chapter 1. This is at a verse 6, but you have it again in verse 4 and verse 12. It talks about the fact that we were predestined to be adopted by Jesus Christ, why? That we might be to the praise of His glory. He gets to the end of that section in verse 12 as he's wrapping up just the all the little facets of salvation and the blessings and the workings that are in that, and it's the same thing. That we might be, what? To the praise of His glory. So God is interested in Jealous over His people praising His glory. Why would, why would we do this? Why does the psalm call us to do this? What's pointed out here? Well, it says, Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto Thy name give glory for Thy mercy and for thy truth's sake. There are two things that the psalmist points out here. Number one, for your mercy's sake. Now the word mercy there is the word we've highlighted several times. It's the word for hesed or for God's covenant love. Lord, not unto us, but unto your name give glory because, excuse me, because of your covenant love. Think about that and how it relates to Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7. 
in verse 6 as God is addressing His people. Deuteronomy 7, 6 says, For thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto Himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. Okay, this is good news. This is, a, this is obviously a, a special privilege that the people of God here have been chosen by God above all the other people on the earth to be a people that the Lord made a holy people unto Himself. That is, He set them apart for Himself in a special way. But then He goes on in verse 7, The Lord did not set His love upon you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any people, for you were the fewest of all people. But because the Lord loved you, because He would keep the oath which He had sworn unto your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord thy God, He is a God, I'm sorry, He is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love Him, keep His commandments to a thousand generations, and He repays them that hate Him to their face to destroy them, and so forth and so on. Here's the the point I'm, I'm trying to illustrate. This give God glory or glorify God's name. Why? Because of His mercy, because of His hesed, His covenant love. He says, look, Israel, I've set you aside to be a special people for me. This is just really a a, a type, a shadow of the elect that were chosen in Christ. That's us. He says, I've set you aside to be a holy people. Why? Because I loved you and because I would keep the oath that I made with your fathers. This is a covenant love. This is a love that is entered into in a covenantal way. The the point of this is, if you take out God's love and you remove any sort of covenantal contract, we're done. Nothing on our part, nothing about us could put us in a position that we would be called the special chosen people of God who were set apart in a holy way or a separate way for God's special possession. And so, give Him glory because of His covenant love. Secondly, give Him glory for His truth's sake. Now, we've talked about this before in the Psalms and in the Old Testament. This comes, uh, this comes up several times the way this is worded in the KJV. When it's saying here, give Him glory for His truth's sake, it's not saying give Him glory because He's articulated truth. It's saying give Him glory because He's faithful. He's true. He doesn't lie. He fulfills the promises that He makes. So give Him glory. Give Him praise. His covenant love and His faithfulness. Okay. Now, we spent a decent amount of time there because we needed to, to move, we'll move quicker through the rest of the psalm, but to set up, what is this psalm really about? Section number two, 
Okay, the, the section one out of this verse was the reason that all things exist for the glory of God. Section number two, the irony of idolatry. The irony of idolatry. So we have a question, we have an answer, and then we have irony. Okay, this is verses two through eight. Wherefore should the heathen say, Where is now their God? But our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. Their gods, I'm sorry, their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. And and then he goes through with the, they have mouths, but they don't speak, eyes they don't see, uh, ears they don't hear, noses they don't smell, hands they don't handle, and so forth and so on. The question is that they're getting from the heathen. We don't know exactly when this psalm was written. Perhaps it was during the Babylonian captivity. Perhaps it was in some other time. But the heathen asked the question, where now is their God? You know, in contrast to the visible idols that the heathen worshipped, you have this invisible God that Israel claims has entered into a covenant with them And the heathen or the pagan look around and say, where is he? You say he's real. You say that he's the creator of all things. You say that he's with you in a special way, that he's faithful and so forth and so on. But where is he? The answer is verse three. But our God is in the heavens. And he has done whatsoever he has pleased. That is, our God is in the heavens and he is sovereignly ruling over heaven and earth. You may not be able to see his visible appearance, but if you want to know where he is and what he's doing, just look around. His fingerprints are everywhere. We can think about this from a Romans 1 standpoint. Look at the creation or a Psalm 19 standpoint. It, the creation declares the glory of God. He is an invisible God who has given visible evidence of his existence. And the heathens say, where is he? Where is your God? Now, here's the irony. And I think this is the irony that Psalm 115 is is really pressing out in this first half. Their idols, verse 4, are silver and gold. The work of men's hands... And we could just encapsulate verses 5 through 7 by just saying they are obviously not real. You say, what do you mean obviously not real? Well, I'm not going to turn here for time's sake, but Isaiah 44 talks about this. um, Talks about a man who will go out and cut down a tree And then he brings the tree home. And this is summarizing. He pretty much splits the tree into three or four uses. He uses the same tree to warm himself with by the fire, to bake bread, to roast meat, and then he takes the leftovers and builds an idol. And he covers that idol with gold. And then he worships that idol, he trusts that idol 
that's made out of the same stuff he was cooking his food with just a minute ago. It's obviously not real. How could someone be so blind? How could someone be so, you know, uh, ignorant, stupid, foolish? I mean, all the words you could come up with there. And Isaiah even presses the point on that. I, I guess I will turn to Isaiah to read this. Isaiah 44. Um, really, if you started in verse 9 and made your way down through the chapter, that's the big chunk, but but I don't want to hit all of that. Um In verse 18 of Isaiah 44, or verse 17, talking about splitting the tree up and all that. Verse 17, it says, And the residue thereof, he maketh a God, even his graven image. He falleth down unto it, and worshipeth it, and prayeth unto it, and says, Deliver me, for thou art my God. Can you imagine that? And this is what Isaiah says. And none considereth in his heart, neither is there knowledge nor understanding to say, I've burned part of this in the fire. Yea, also I've baked bread upon the coals thereof. I've roasted flesh and eaten it, and I shall make the residue thereof an abomination. Shall I fall down to the stock of a tree? Well, we may look at something like this and say, yeah, you know, I am with you. This idolatry stuff is ridiculous. Who in the world would bow down to a tree stump? Who would make something and then turn around and worship it? That makes no sense. And in Israel's context, that's exactly what's being said. But, you know, idolatry takes lots of different forms. You may not bow down in front of a tree stump, but the reality is we have to wrestle with putting our expectations in other things that are only supposed to be reserved for God. What do I mean by that? Well, there are times where, well, think about this. Lord, not unto us, but unto your name, give glory. That is the only name in heaven and earth that is worthy of worship and glory, to be entrusted with the hearts of men and women is your name because you're faithful and you're a God of covenant mercies. Now, how often do we entrust or place our hearts and our expectations in other things? Might not be a tree stump. Matter of fact, I'm positive it's not. But it's in a lot of other idols. We can think about this from material wealth. We can think about this from jobs. We can think about this from relationships. We can think about this from selfish ambition and pride and all kinds of different things. We're expecting something to deliver us that has absolutely no power. To deliver us. We're expecting something to satisfy our expectations that has absolutely no power to do so. 
And why do we expect it? Because we've built it up in our mind. We've built it up in our heart. Why is it that this person who just got finished chopping down a tree, breaking bread, roasting meat, warming himself by the fire, could take the leftovers, make an idol out of it, put gold on top of that, and then bow down and say, please deliver me? I mean, the stump had to be picked up and put there. He had to be fashioned by the man who fashioned it. And brothers and sisters, it's the same way with us. You've never had an idol in your heart that you didn't first fashion before you put it there. You have never put expectations on something that only belonged to the Lord as far as expectations for satisfaction, expectations for deliverance, and and we're thinking about trust. You've never done that without first fashioning that idol before he got there. Well, what's the irony? Well, at some level, whenever we're thinking about the heathen asking, where is your God? Because they can't see him. The irony is that the same folks who are asking, where is your God, are building theirs out of the same tree that they're doing the rest of this stuff with. To push it a little further, the irony here is that they say, because we cannot see your God, he must not exist, when at the same time, they just got finished building theirs out of a stump. You understand what I'm saying here? The fact that you can see theirs is more of an argument that it doesn't exist than the fact that they can't see their than that they can't see Israel's. We know what you made this thing out of. It doesn't make sense. It's obviously made of lifeless material. Limited by the imagination and the skill of the builder. But they trust it simply because they see it. Brothers and sisters, our hearts are the same way. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory. You know what idolatry says, don't you? I'm going to build this, not so I can glorify it, so that it can glorify me. Deliver me. Give me. Give me, give me, give me. Why would I build something that I could bow down to and pray to? Because I need something. Okay, I need this thing to exalt me. So you have the irony. And then you have, out of verse 8, just the travesty of it all. Look in verse 8. They that make them, we're talking about idols, they that make them are like unto them, so is everyone that trusteth in them. What's it saying? Well, there is a sense in which they that make them are like them because, again, the idol was just dependent on the person making it. The figment of his imagination put into wood. But there's another sense in which what's being said here is they that make them are like them. Uh, You become like what you worship. You become like what you worship. Think about that from a Romans 12.2 perspective. Be not conformed to the world. Why would you be conformed to the world? Because you value it. Because you glorify it. You make much of it. 
You exalt the weight and the pleasures and treasures of the world. And before you know it, you've conformed yourself to it. Be not conformed to the world. Don't become like the idol that you've propped up in the world. But be transformed through the renewing of your mind. So you have a question, where is your God? You have the answer, He's in the heavens, He's done whatsoever He has pleased. You have the irony, then you have the travesty. This is the first half of the psalm. The second half is really the application to the first half. Starting in verse 9, and we'll move quickly through this last half. It's pretty straightforward. Starting in verse 9, O Israel, trust thou in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Ye that fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has been mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless them that fear the Lord, both small and great. The Lord shall increase you more and more and your children. So the third section here is just a call to trust the Lord. You'll notice that verses 9 through 11 are really the same call. It just progressively goes from house of Israel, house of Aaron, those who fear the Lord, trust Him. Why? Because He's your help and protection. He's your help and protection. Trust Him. Why? Because He will bless His people. That's why. How can we be sure that God is going to be our help and our protection in times of fear? Well, we go back to verse 1. Because of His mercy, His hesed, His covenant love. He's a God who's made covenant with His people and He cannot lie. How can we be sure that God is going to bless His people? How can we be sure that He's mindful of us, that He will bless those who fear Him? Because He's a God of truth. He's faithful. He doesn't lie. And so you have really two choices as it relates to the way you live life in this world. You can trust God or you can build your own idol and place your trust there. You can live for the Lord and you can live a life that is focused on exalting His glory or you can try to rearrange the elements of your life in order to prop up your glory. And that would include looking to dead and lifeless things for deliverance and hope when really there is none. It's called to trust, believe, Make God your security. Or or maybe I should say, look to Him for your security. So a call to trust. And then last, it's a call to praise. A call to praise. Verses 15 through 18. You are blessed of the Lord, which made heaven and earth. The heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth hath He given to the children of men. The dead praise not the Lord, neither any that go down into silence, but we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. So he starts out uh, in verse 15 and and 16 uh, by just saying, you are blessed of the God that made the heavens and the earth. Again, we still need to be thinking about contrasting here. There's still a contrast between the God whose name deserves all glory 
and the idols who are just a third of the tree that somebody baked their bread with and warmed their house with. There's a contrast. The God that blesses you is the God that, God that made the heavens and the earth. And He made the heavens... Um, uh, the heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth has He given to the children of men. Then we get verse 17, and it's important to understand he's not making some sort of a theological statement here. He's making a, uh, an observation. The dead praise not the Lord, neither any that go down into silence. Again, this is not a statement about what happens after you die. This is a reality on earth. Once we're dead, we can no longer praise Him on earth. The earth that He's given to the children of men. What's the point? Well, the point is contrasted in verse 18. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. So here's the question. Here's the question for me. And here's the question for you. Who is your God? And how does He receive glory? And where does that glory come from? And, and if He's the God of the Bible, which for most of us here, maybe all of us here, He is, then, then He's a God that is so far exalted above the silly, dead, lifeless idols of the world that we're called to trust in Him and we're called to praise Him. Why? Well, the call to praise is based on the exact same thing that the call to trust is based on. Trust Him because of His Hesed covenant love and because of His covenant faithfulness. Praise Him because of His Hesed covenant love and His covenant faithfulness. This is who God is. And if you're His, then I know that you've already tasted and seen that the Lord is good. So what do we do with that? Well, we praise Him for it. We trust Him for it. And we give Him glory in that. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we just echo Psalm 115, verse 1. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto Thy name give glory for Thy mercy and for Thy truth's sake. I pray that You would open up the realities of this psalm to us and to our hearts. I pray You would make us to rejoice in who You are to rejoice in Your covenant love, to rejoice in Your faithfulness, and that that would lead us to trust and to praise You for who You are and what You've been to Your people. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.